0: Please be seated. And uh, just as we turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, let's bow again and let's look to God in prayer for a moment. Let's pray. How we long to sing to you, O God. How we long to raise our voices in praise and worship to you, our Creator and our God. And we ask, Lord, for your mercy. We pray that you would please open up and unfold Uh, the truths of your scripture to your people this morning, that we might begin to understand more of your plan of salvation, but more of your goodness and and who you are. Lord, please hear our prayer. Please speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. So, uh, three church ministers... In fact, probably all ministers. We are the most predictable of creatures under the sun. So free church ministers, most ministers can be relied on to do the most predictable of things. For example, all ministers, it would seem, they love to embarrass their children. Isn't that the case? Why? Luke anywhere else for a sermon illustration when you can just tell the world some of the silly things that your children uh, do we can all be relied on uh, to do that as one example another example is that most ministers it would seem like to go over time isn't that the case why speak for 10 minutes uh, when you can speak for an hour okay so you get you get the idea uh, ministers can be rather predictable well maybe sometimes occasionally it uh, is okay uh, for ministers to be predictable? You see, what day is it today? Sunday, yes. It is whatever it is—the fourth of April or roundabout. Uh, no, it is Easter Sunday, isn't it? So this is a day where millions of people. Let's not. No, it's not passed that by. Millions of people throughout the world are pausing, stopping, gathering together different times to look to God in wonder, in worship, at the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, having secured our righteousness, having atoned for sin, that Jesus Christ is risen. It is Easter Sunday, so you know what we're going to do, don't you? So this morning, we're not going to begin a a new sermon series, are we? We're not going to look at some aspect of Christian ethics or morality. No, what are we going to do together, friends? We're going to pause to consider that glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe sometimes it's all right to be predictable. Now, um, you're with me, I'm sure, when I say that there are loads and loads of different facets or aspects of the resurrection that we could think about, eh, aren't they? So what is the focus going to be this morning for us in here? What's the focus going to be? Well, let me be a little bit cruel with that, and let me just keep you in suspense just for a moment or two, and let us try and build up to lead up to the precise focus uh, this morning. you see, what was the reading? Crawford came up. What was the reading? It was first uh, Corinthians fifteen Now is that a portion of scripture we know well I think it is isn't it first Corinthians fifteen? We certainly know something about the the context don't we don't we we, we know that there church in Corinth had quite a lot of problems. One of the issues, wasn't it? One of the issues was that some in that church were denying the resurrection of the dead. Did you hear me? Are we going to be careful here? So the people in Corinth were not denying Jesus' resurrection, were they? They all knew Christ is risen But they were, some of them were denying the subsequent resurrection of the people of God, the resurrection of the church. So, what does Paul do? Paul writes to them, he addresses them, and actually, Paul shows them, no, hang on a second, the resurrection of the people of God is actually inevitable. It has to happen that because the one who we are united to by faith, he's already raised that we know that the people of God will one day rise from the grave. Do you see it? Christ's resurrection. Hold on to it. You'll need it for the rest of our lives. Christ's resurrection, it guarantees our eschatological hope. Now, if you do know this section of the Bible, and I'm hoping you do, and I'm sure that you do, if you do know it, you will know that from verse 3... If you look at it with me, from verse 3, there are a few elements that Paul mentions that kind of make up, I'm not sure about this, but make up, can we call it a gospel summary? Maybe we can. Now, if you look at them from verse 3, what are these elements? Let's point them out. And maybe even the boys and girls or the parents can show their kids these elements, the summary of the gospel. So what do we have from verse 3? Do you notice this? Paul doesn't just say that Christ died for sins. Now, do you see that in verse three? What does he actually say? He says that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, and we we all follow that. Do we follow that? We do, don't we? So, that's the idea that this amazing Good Friday event, you know, Christ's atoning work was actually pointed to, foreshadowed in the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, as I say that to you, where does your mind go to back that up? Where would you go in the Old Testament Scriptures? You might go to Isaiah 53. Yes, I suppose we would, wouldn't we? We would. It was pierced for our transgressions. You might go to Daniel 9, the anointed one, cut off. So we get that, don't we? We get the idea. That atoning work was spoken about in Scripture. Fine follow on. What's the next bit? Look into verse 4. So we've got the death. Ah, we've got the burial. Fine. And now we get to it. Because I've got a question for you, boys and girls, I want you to try and concentrate on this one as well. If you look at verse 4, does Paul say, how would you answer this one? Does Paul say that Christ was raised according to the Scriptures? So we've seen that Christ His his atoning work was, yes, the sin, the death, according to the Scriptures. So would you say in verse 4, how would you answer that? I wonder, don't shout out your answers. But would you say that Christ was raised according to the Scriptures? Sort of. Sort of. Because what does Paul say exactly? Exactly. He says that Christ was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Do, do you see? Isn't it? seen saying that the, the chronology, the actual timing, the third day nature of Christ's resurrection, according to the Scriptures, actually set forth in the Old Testament, Word now, now, friends, do we see a problem with that? Do we? You can see it, can you? Paul is saying christ 's resurrection uh, raised on the third day according to the Old Testament. what's the problem? The problem is nowhere in the Old Testament scriptures, can we find a precise prophecy, a verbal prophecy? of such a third-day event. And wait, oh, the problem is, in a sense, confounded for us because it's not just Paul. So Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter 24, now you're ready for it, I'll read it to you. Jesus says this, he says, thus it is written. So we all know what he's doing. He's pointing us to the Old Testament. He says, thus it is written that the Christ would rise from the dead on the third day. On the third day. So, I wonder if you're still with me, do you see what the Apostle Paul must be doing in First Corinthians 15? Do we see what he's doing? Paul is looking to the Old Testament, viewing the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament events, as figuratively pointing to a resurrection on the third day. Look into the Old Testament, seeing some of the events of the Old Testament as foreshadowing, not just a resurrection, but a resurrection on the third day. So now, after all of that, we see the subject matter for this morning. Do we all see it? You at home, do you get it? If Paul is saying that the Old Testament anticipated a third day resurrection, we ask, how? where, where is it prophesied? Well, okay, let's uh, start with the most obvious place of all. What events foreshadowed a third day resurrection? Let's think about the book of Jonah. Now, uh, immediately as I uh, uh, say that to you, the book of Jonah, I think, if you know Scripture at all, uh, you, you know why that is an obvious place to start, don't you? Why would we go to the book of Jonah? Because our Lord Jesus, in his ministry, he made that connection. So it's not us reading too much into it, but the Lord Jesus Christ, in his preaching, he drew a line between the event of Jonah and his own impending resurrection. And if you don't believe me, then I will read it to you. So uh, Matthew uh, chapter 12, this is Jesus, and he says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Jesus says, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, are you with me? Does that seem straightforward? I think it's reasonably straightforward, isn't it? Where does the Old Testament prefigure a third-day resurrection? We can say The Book of Jonah, the Book of Jonah. Fine, good. Is that, I wonder, is that case closed? (laughs) We say the Book of Jonah, time for the Benediction, and we go home. Is it is it case closed? I don't think so. Okay, I do I wonder if you agree with this. Don't you think it's incredibly unlikely? That in 1 Corinthians, like such a central, pivotal moment, 1 Corinthians 15, don't you think it's incredibly unlikely that Paul would make this claim, that, that Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and have in his mind one solitary event? do you think that's unlikely? It's according to the Scriptures, this third day of resurrection, and then have in his mind just Jonah nothing else, one text, one moment. I think that's incredibly unlikely, so what do we ask? We, we ask, and We is there anything more? Are there other areas that we can look at in the Old Testament that help us out here, that inform us here? Isn't that what you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked, because there are. Now, normally what I would do, I suppose, at this point is ask you to turn it up in your Bibles. You don't need to do this, but I would plead with you to hear this verse very, very clearly, and the young ones to listen to it, because it's marvelous, okay? So, this is taken from the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, Hosea. So, it's written a long time before Jesus. It's a, a minor prophet, and at this point in Hosea, God is speaking. There is a prophecy about something that's to happen. Now, listen carefully, and it's to do with the people of Israel. It's to do with the nation of Israel. Now, listen, listen, you're going to hear it. So, here it is. After two days, He will revive us, and on the third day, He will raise us up. Did you hear it? After two days, He will revive us, but on the third day, he will raise us up. Now, to me, this seems relevant. And I, I really love what I can do because I can stand up the front of you here in the church. And in a sense, at this moment, I'm not by myself. I'm with kind of like the early church fathers that are up here as well and some of the reformers like Luther and Calvin because they all go to Hosea 6, 2, and they all see it as something that's predicting the third day resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem with it. Maybe some of you got out of bed on the wrong side this morning. Or maybe some of you are skeptical by nature. Is that possible? And maybe this morning you're looking at me thinking, nah, I'm not having it. You know, no way, not a chance, Andy. There's no way. Because that prophecy in Hosea, you've just said, it's for the people of Israel. It's for the nation of Israel. So it's not legitimate of you, Andy, to take that and apply it to Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are going down that skeptical route. Maybe you could also see how it would come back at you, though. Do you? Is it not true that in the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament go to great lengths to show us who is Jesus? He is the true Israel of God. Is it not even more convincing? Is it not the case that the New Testament authors sometimes take Hosea and his prophecies of Israel And take those very prophecies and apply them to Jesus Christ. Matthew does it, doesn't he? Remember Hosea's words of Israel? Out of Egypt. I call my son. Matthew takes it. And he applies it to Jesus. And maybe if you see it, isn't it a little um, uplifting? Because surely what we see here in Hosea, and remember in a prophecy written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, we see a prediction, not just of a resurrection unto life. But we see in Hosea a resurrection on the third day. So are you with me? We are thinking of Old Testament types of third-day resurrection events, and we've seen Jonah, the obvious one, and we've seen Hosea. But you perhaps think I've lost the plot because for the next one... (laughs) I need you to think about the emojis on your phone just for a moment. Now, some of us will know what emojis are. Some of us might not know what an emoji is. If you don't know what an emoji is, an emoji is a daft little picture that you will have on your phone. And it's a daft little picture that you can send in place of the words or text. Supposed to brighten up your day, isn't it? To send, no matter what we think of them, maybe a little bit cheesy, but that's what an emoji is. If you have a penchant for emojis, if you like to send emojis in your phone, you'll know that sometimes your phone will give you options, right? Sometimes your phone will suggest a couple of pictures to send for one idea. Can we, you see the idea, right? But Well, i give you an example. So let's say on my phone, I type the word party. After all, I'm a free church minister, and uh, always a big party scene amongst free church ministers, I'm sure, or maybe not. But uh, let's let's say you type the word party into your phone. Your phone will suggest two pictures, two options. You might get the suggestion of some balloons, To send us an emoji. Or you might get a party hat. Do you follow the idea? Two pictures to represent one idea. It's not as daft as it sounds. I need you to appreciate that that is what happens in Scripture. Now, follow me, please. That this one idea that of resurrection, this big idea of resurrection in Scripture, is portrayed in the Bible with two pictures. There is one, arising up out of land. That's your first emoji, rising up out of land. Second in Scripture, resurrection is depicted to us in a rising up out of water. Everyone, Big picture resurrection depicted rising out of land, rising up out of water. Now, obvious thing for me to say to you, we've just seen an example of the second one in Jonah. How is resurrection shown to us? It's, what is it? It's a rising up out of the seas. The depths are rising up out of the waters. But I want you to appreciate in your Bible that you hold in your hand there is another sea-based, water-based picture of resurrection. Now, if I was to turn that over to you, what would you say? Where would you go in your mind, a water-based picture of resurrection? You might come back with Noah, but no. Listen, we are shown a picture of resurrection in the people of Israel being saved through the Red Sea. Now I'm going to look around the room. You nod if you know that story well the story of the the Red Sea. We know it very, very well, don't we? But I turn it over to you. Can you see how that story depicts to us and shows us a resurrection unto life? Do you see it? Can you see it? Now, we think about what happens. That was a seismic, a pivotal moment in the history of Israel, wasn't it? Going through the Red Sea. And what do they do? They go through that that, the, the water. They pass through the water. And they're able to leave their formal way of life behind, aren't they? Their bondage. The sin. The Egyptians. That horrible way of life is gone. They pass through the water. It's old to new, isn't it? They pass through the water. They go through it. And they come through to this new life ahead of them. And I say to you, isn't it the case that the New Testament itself draws that line. Because what do the New Testament authors do? They link the Red Sea to baptism. That's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? Now why the Red Sea in baptism? Don't you see it? Because that Red Sea event, it depicts the dying in Christ and then the rising in Christ that is conveyed in Christian baptism. We see it The Red Sea, a picture for us of resurrection through the waters, and that's great, and that's fine, but that's not our concern. Our concern this morning, three-day event. So, is there anything in the Red Sea that helps us here this morning, friends? Well, you got off with it a moment ago. You're not going to get off with it now. If you've got your Bible there, even the boys and girls, if you could turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Exodus 12, 37. As quickly as you can. And maybe you'll like cowboy films. Because there's always that moment, isn't there, in the old cowboy films when the Native Americans are trying to track the goody, that's the usual idea. And they put their ear to the ground. Let's just track the people of Israel just for one minute. So you got it. Exodus twelve thirty-seven. you found it. Boys and girls, you got it. Tremendous. Now, everybody knows the background, don't we? The plagues, we know it. We know the background. There's the Passover has happened, hasn't it? And they're fleeing. The Passover, the blood has been spilt. They flee. So my question is, where do they camp day one? They camp a place called Sokoth. That seems fine, great. Now, you've got your Bible in your hand, so you can look at Exodus thirteen twenty. So it's just over the page, Exodus thirteen twenty, Passover, day one. Then into day two, what happens? They travel to a place called Etham, and they make camp. Now, just look down your page to Exodus 14, verse 2. Day three. They now camp at Pi Hariroth and they cross, and they cross the Red Sea. Now, you this morning can put the pictures, pieces of the jigsaw together. You can see the timeline. I hope can you? We have the Passover. We have that moment where sin is covered. We have that moment where there is blood spilt and the death, that sacrificial death, and then what do you have? One, two, on the third day, they cross the Red Sea. Do you see? There's the Passover, there's the death, then on the third day as they escape, these people, we see this beautiful water-based picture of resurrection, and I'm saying to you, it's the Apostle Paul writing 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, with his vast encyclopedic knowledge of Scripture, his vast encyclopedic knowledge of the history of Israel, you're not telling me that he was not able to pinpoint that as he says in 1 Corinthians, Christ rose on the third day according to what has happened in the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, I know what you're thinking. I do. I, I, this is not a normal sermon as such, is it? where we would take a section of Scripture and we would work through it uh, uh, sequentially. And I appreciate your patience. But before we get to the very last stop uh, this morning, I've got a a question. I I wonder, can you recall the other emoji? Can you recall the other picture of resurrection that we are given in Scripture? Okay? Maybe if you're a farmer, or maybe if... Green fingers, and you like gardening. Maybe you'll remember it. What's the other? We've got the rising up out of the waters. Time and again, it depicts resurrection. But we also have agricultural or horticultural language in Scripture. Resurrection is is depicted as a rising up out of the land. And maybe you're scratching your head there. Is, is that real? But you know this to be true let me just read to you. There's so many examples, but let me read to you Jesus' words in John chapter 20. Listen to these, right? Rising up out of the land, horticultural, ready? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But what does Jesus say when he's speaking about resurrection? But if that seed dies, it bears much fruit. You see it arising up out of the land, agriculture, horticultural imagery. And and if you do like gardening, if you're a good gardener in here or a farmer, then you see how suitable an image this is for resurrection. Because I ask you, what does a seed look like? A seed. You well know I think a seed looks like nothing. Seed looks rubbish. A seed looks like a, a stone, doesn't it? It looks dead. But if you put that seed in the ground and it has the correct conditions, what happens? The seed springs forth, doesn't it? Springs into life. And sometimes what happens? Yes, yes. The New Testament imagery for resurrection, sometimes they're even produced the first fruits. Well, armed as we are with this knowledge, we are ready for our last stop uh, this morning. So, Ready for it? Last place today. Where are we going to go to see a, a picture of a pointer to Christ's resurrection? I would ask you to pick up your Bibles and I would ask you to go to the very first chapter of Scripture to the third day of creation and I would ask you to look up Genesis 1 verse 9. Please do that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. Third day of creation. Now, have you got it? Now, wait for this. What I want you to to notice, first of all, is that there are twice, two occasions where God speaks on the third day. Two divine utterances. So, look at verse 9. Now, remember everything that's just been said. Look at verse 9. Remember our emojis, our pictures of resurrection. Look at verse 9. First of all, verse 9. From the waters, let dry land rise up. Let it appear. Then look at verse 11. Third day of creation. And from the land, let vegetation appear. Plants Trees. Now, I I love how a man called Nick Lund puts this together. He says that what you've got in your hands in 1 Genesis chapter 1 are actually both scriptural pictures of resurrection, and you have them both in the same place. So you have this picture of water-based rising up out of the water, the land comes forth. And you also have this rising up out of the land. You have them both in the same place. You even have mention here of the first fruits of Scripture. Grabs that to speak of resurrection. Now, now you can maybe see what I'm suggesting, but can it be? Like, could it be possible? Is it possible that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's writing about the Lord's resurrection, he's writing about that Easter. Could it possibly be that Paul actually has creation in view? This third day event, according to the script, is he thinking it is it possible that he's thinking about the third day creation? Listen to these two things. You ready for it? First of all, it's the terminology. You've got to understand that first Corinthians 15, Paul doesn't use the normal word for resurrection. So he doesn't use the word that John uses, or Matthew uses, or Mark uses, or Luke uses. Paul uses a word that you can translate as appear, appear, and friends, have a guess where else that term appears in your Bible. That's right. The word that Paul uses is an unusual word in 1 Corinthians 15. It appears, if you'll allow that, in the third day of creation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it's Paul. Paul the scholar. Pharisee, Pharisees, You cannot tell me that he, he doesn't notice this link that he is drawing between the third day of Christ's resurrection and the third day of creation. And then, ready? Even more convincing, you've got to bear this in mind. Have a guess where Paul goes in 1 Corinthians for his illustrations. Where does he go in the Bible? Later on in the same chapter, chapter 15, where does he go? That's right. Paul, for his illustrations, later on in the chapters, he goes to the days of creation. In fact, what he does, he mentions the sixth day of creation, the fifth day of creation, the fourth day of creation, And then he stops. Friends, you see it? I'm I'm sure what we have, I believe, is a much more prevalent third-day resurrection theme in Scripture than we very often appreciate the idea that from Genesis 1, God provides types and forms and pictures to point us to what was to come. And what was to come? Not just the resurrection of a Savior. What was to come was a resurrection on the third day. Now, all of this is fine, I'm sure, fine. But there is one question that remains, and surely it's this. What does this mean for me? Maybe you're asking that this morning. Are you? Maybe some of the boys and girls are asking. So we're seeing from the very beginning this theme, this thread prophecies, pictures, God acting the way that God likes to act in the Old Testament and giving us pictures of what was to come. But how does this work for me? How does this transform my life this week as I go out into Dundee or your life with all the battles and all the stresses? How does the rubber of this hit the road of your life? Well, I simply want to end with two really brief applications of this. Again, I would want the younger people to hear this. First is this, that what we're seeing here this morning should impact radically how you read and teach the Old Testament Scriptures. So what we're seeing there should radically affect how you read and teach the Old Testament Scriptures. You know what it's like, friends, don't you? Um, We as Christians can sometimes give the Old Testament a bit of a wide berth, In certain circumstances, we can do that. Isn't that right? Now, the Old Testament Scriptures can seem really complicated and complex, requiring more of our time. The Old Testament can seem less obviously christ oriented So when it comes to Sunday school and we're teaching the kids, sometimes we can gravitate away from the Old Testament when it comes to family worship and the joys and the battles of family worship. Sometimes we can navigate ourselves away and take our children away from the Old Testament Scriptures. We think, oh, it's going to be easier if we do that. And then there's this predicament, isn't there? First thing in the morning for us. When we got up early and we want to read the Bible and we've come to the end of the section that we're reading and we're wondering where to go next and our hair is up here <laughs> and we've got a coffee and there's bags under our eyes and it's first thing in the morning, we think, where will it go? What do we do? Very often we can, we can leave the Old Testament well alone. We leave it hands off. Well, consider. Consider this thread that we're recognizing this morning. Do you know what I think it shows us? It shows us that Jesus is not a liar. What we've seen this morning, surely we recognize it. it shows us that when Jesus is on that road to Emmaus, and he says that the Old Testament scriptures, they spoke of him. They spoke from Moses, these books, they spoke, they pointed to him. Surely we see he, he was not lying. You take it from me, what a payoff there would be in your life if even from tomorrow, even this week, by yourself, but with your family, your household, if you were to read through a book of the Old Testament this week and do so asking these questions, asking what is this Old Testament book? Tell me about the God that I profess. What does it tell me about God and his character, his attributes? What does this Old Testament book tell me about my? sin and what? What does it tell me of my Savior? And surely in light of this, you ask of that Old Testament book, how does it sit in God's plan of salvation? What does this do to point me to Jesus Christ? So what we're seeing here should impact how we read, how we teach the Old Testament. And then lastly, second of all, what we're seeing here should illustrate for us above and Anything else this morning should illustrate for you the utter and complete centrality of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Because let's end where we begun. We're not alone, you know, there's a few people in the building here. We can feel isolated, right? In this city, in this country, we're not alone. People watching at home. They might feel even more alone. There's even fewer of them. But we're gathering with a church. I mean, thousands of people in the city, hundreds of thousands, of people, millions of people gathering on Easter Sunday to remember what Jesus Christ has done. This is Easter morning. Jesus Christ has defeated death. Are we grasping that? Are we holding on to it, cherishing it? having lived our obedience, having taken our sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame, as far as east is from the west, he rose. Think of it, that he was in that tomb in darkness. And in that tomb was a body, a cadaver, lying in the darkness, lifeless, motionless, On a cold slab of stone, no movement, as dead as dead could be, and what happened? All of a sudden, breath returned to his lungs. He lay there dead, but all of a sudden, Jesus' heart begins to beat. He lay there dead, but all of a sudden, he sits up. He stands up and he walks forth from the tomb. And he walks forth in the morning light, victorious, triumphant over death. And what we're seeing here is that that moment, that event, was so utterly central. What does God do in his wisdom? He points to that event from the very beginning of creation itself. Everything pointing forward, anticipating this atoning death, but the subsequent third day resurrection, everything, everything centers on the empty tomb. Everything centers on our risen Savior. And so, if you're a Christian this morning, surely this Easter, your heart is warmed to praise your God, and you see why, don't you? Don't you see why? He rose as the first fruits. Don't you see why we ought to praise? Paul was right in First Corinthians 15. Some in that church had it wrong that one day what will happen, Christian friend, is that you shall rise from the grave to Christ our first fruits. One day, your defeat of death will be seen. You will rise to be like Him, and you will rise to see Him as He is. But if you are not a Christian, I wonder if you see the urgency of this today. In verse 2, Paul says, it is by all of this, by these gospel events, that we are being saved. Don't you recognize the urgency if you're not a Christian if this morning, this Easter morning, you are outside of Christ, you are also outside of the eternal life He brings. Oh, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. This morning, will you not come to Him and believe in Him? And this Easter morning, you be resurrected to eternal spiritual life and all by the power of, and all by the grace of the God who is, yes, he's, he's the creator. But he is our God. He is also the savior of his church. Don't we praise God this Easter morning for a third day resurrection? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we marvel at your, uh, your word We marvel at the way that you have constructed your holy scriptures. We, this morning, worship you for the theme of third-day resurrection that weaves its way so uh, beautifully uh, through the Old Testament. We thank you for Paul affirming that this third-day resurrection was according to the scriptures. Um, But more than the way it's put together... We want to worship you for the truth of the Bible and for the fact that it does speak of a Savior who has atoned for our sin, who died, who was buried. And we praise you this morning for a Savior who has risen, eternal, victorious, triumphant, and for the fact that we shall one day be with Him. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.